love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with the 13th in the world Iron Distance champion, Haley Chara. <laughs> Thank you so much for that intro. I think I might ask everyone to intro me that for at least like the rest of my life. You know, I want to be introduced as 13th in the world. I feel like 13 was a really good number. I actually did think that when I heard I was 13th, I was like, my one of my first thought was, was like, Oh, it's Taylor Swift's number. How great is that? <laughs> she did manage to make 13 a lucky number. And 13 is one of my lucky numbers because I my birthday is June 13th. So I've always considered that to be like lucky for me. So it's definitely a good place to be. Um, but Haley, I'm so excited to like dig into the race, get all of the details from everything that's happened to you in the last like three weeks. I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever, but we're not going to start out with that. So sorry, listeners. I'm going <laughs> to, we're making you wait. We're making yeah. you wait. <laughs> um, What's been going on with you, Alyssa? It does feel like it's been forever. I mean, I guess it's only, has it only, oh, I guess it's been two weeks. Cause we did, you did the show with Emily without me, which thank you for that. And, um, I, uh, I ha feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. So what's been going on with you? How is Vermont? Is it snowing yet? It's been a busy couple of weeks. It's not, well, it is snowing up in the mountains today. <laughs> um, not snowing at my house, but um, a lot has been happening, Haley. It's been pretty busy, but the most urgent piece of news, I've been waiting to tell you this because I knew mm -hmm. of all people in my life that you would appreciate this the most and really yeah. understand the trials and tribulations that are going to go along with this. There's a mouse in the house, Haley. No, no. Oh my goodness. I feel for you. I, I, you, if our, our longtime listeners remember that I've had this struggle with, with mice in my house and I, I hate them. I am terrified. I'm like, I have a true phobia of mice. Um, and so how are you handling this? Have you caught it yet? Is it, are you sure it's just one? Well, the biggest pain is that it's really disrupting my work day. <laughs> I was really counting on having, you know, a good normal, like I got up early, I got my swim run done. I was like ready to be home and just like bang out all this work. And I get home and the dogs are going bonkers. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're just like staring. We have this hutch, like a hutch with three drawers that our TV is on. And then there's like a wall behind it, like a little tiny wall. That's like kind of backs up to under the staircase. And there's a hole in the wall from where the prior home livers had like mounted their TV probably and put wires through the wall and all that stuff. So there is a hole in the wall, but the dogs were barking and they were like knocking everything over that was next to the hutch, like staring at the hutch. And last night as I was going to bed, I thought I heard something <laughs> potentially in the hutch. And I went upstairs and I said, Matt, I think there's a mouse in the charging drawer. Cause one of the drawers is like where we keep all of our chargers. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess we're just sleeping like good night, mouse. Good night. Matt, good night, moon. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave it for now. It's nowhere near the bedroom. So like, I was fine with that. But now that I'm trying to work, the dogs are like awake now. They have zeroed in on the mouse being in that vicinity, but it's very uncertain if it's in a drawer of the hutch 
or Max keeps trying to eat through the wall. So like, and like every time I hear a scuffle, it just sounds like it's coming from that area. Like I put my ear up against the wall. I kind of pulled out the drawers, like waiting for a mouse to jump out of me, no jumping out of me. I'm like, I can't figure it out. So currently the current situation is I'm upstairs in the, in like a bedroom where I work. The dogs are locked in my bedroom right now. And then there's a mouse trap set up Haley. So I took to the hole in the wall. I put a chair that's like the same height as the hole. And then I put peanut butter on the mousetrap. And then I put the mousetrap close to that, but like not too close. Cause I want to like come out and get suckered in. Sorry, folks. And get out. But I'm really hoping it can climb back out of the wall. Like what if it's stuck in the wall? Right. So I don't know, Haley, this is really not good, but I couldn't leave the dogs out because they would get into the mousetrap and that would be even worse potentially. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but it's got to get solved because nothing gets done when the dogs are just barking and like scratching and trying to eat the walls. This is not good. And I'm thinking about the mouse. Gross. Yeah, I know. I, I really, I think you're doing everything right. Um, I consider myself an amateur exterminator now, and I feel like you are doing everything right. I'm also very impressed with your dogs that they like are, you know, they notice that like something like an intruder in your house. Yeah. Because (laughs) if anyone remembers, like when I had a mouse in my house, I like, I saw it and I screamed like so loud that my neighbors text me because they were concerned. Like I screamed like I was being murdered. That's nice neighbors. And yeah. then I jumped on the coffee table and then cowboy jumped on the coffee table with me. <laughs> so he was like, he, he definitely keys off of me. Like he didn't care about the mouse, but he was like, okay, we got to get on the coffee table for some reason. <laughs> like we're very afraid. And so, um, he was not going to protect me from the mouse. He was just like, I'm going to be afraid with you. So, um, I mean, you have that going for you, but I also, you don't really want the dogs getting the mouse either. So, no. oh goodness. Um, good luck. You know, I think you're doing everything right. And, uh, you know, just, I, oh gosh, you got to find that whole steel wool, steel wool, put steel wool in the holes. Um, and hopefully they, you know, any holes you find in the wall and they can hopefully not get through, but it is that time of year in the Northern hemisphere. If you live in a place that's like you know, has mice. I think they try to get inside when it starts getting cold. So I tried to set some traps before I left. Cause I was just like, I can't come home to this. And, you know, I've also gone down to my crawl space and like filled every hole. I could anything that could feel like a hole to the point where I had an exterminator come over, like, cause I wanted him to like check it. And he's and like, he, wow, you did a lot. And like, I was do like, you, do you need a job? You <laughs> Well, that's what I've learned. I we are, paid so we much are hiring money. for exterminators. Yeah. yeah. I paid so much money for exterminators and I'm better than them now. And I'm just like, wait a second. Like this is, um, this shouldn't be this way, but I guess if you really care about something, you get it done, but good luck to you, Alyssa. I'm like, Thanks, I yeah, have my, my full support and my phone number if you need it. <laughs> well, I will keep everyone posted on it. Hopefully this is like a one day thing. And next week it's problem solved. No more mice talk, but we'll see. But Haley, the second thing I need to talk to you about is I spent last weekend, well, like eight days of the time where I was, was not talking to you. I was spent eight days, full days, um, taking a wilderness first responder course. And so this came about because as I started adventure racing more this year, um, sometimes races require that one of the members of the team holds at least a wilderness first aid certification. And so then as I was looking at the wilderness first aid classes, I, I was like, well, like looking at the difference between wilderness first aid and wilderness first responder. And I was like, well, the first responder sounds like a little bit more, you know, 
fun. Cause it's like the first date is kind of like the basics of the things like you probably already know. And then the first responder goes like next step. And then you have wilderness EMT, which would be the next step. Right. So I was like, eh, I could do a week in my off season, um, of a class. And of course it like sounds good on paper. Right. And then the week comes and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to sit in like a classroom from nine to six every day and commute like 45 minutes there back every day. Like this is going to be really hard. So luckily the classroom was an outdoor classroom and the location was Peachum, Vermont, which is like the quintessential little Vermont fall town. So actually doing the commute was not bad because it's peak season for leaf peeping right now. So I just took my little leaf peeping drive and I actually had a friend, Sherry, who was staying with me for the week. She was going to be doing the course too. So I had a friend, leaves were popping. So that made the drive go well. And then the class itself was super, super interesting. Um, you get CPR certified and then you basically, you know, I would say the gist of the class is to be able to educate you enough to like assess a issue, right. A medical issue or a, um, like, like, yeah, a medical issue of all types, right. Um, like sicknesses and physical injuries and stuff to assess that in the backcountry and kind of be able to make a pretty educated assessment of what's going on. And then gives you like basic skills to be able to, you don't, you're not really like treating anything in the backcountry. Like they're not teaching me to do stitches. They're not teaching me to like, you know, I'm not casting anything, but like you're basically identifying and then stabilizing and hopefully evacuating, like if it needs it, the, the patient, um, out of the backcountry. So, you know, you're not, again, you're not like putting IVs into people and things like that, but you, like we had a pack with us every day and, you know, the teacher encouraged us to pack the pack with whatever we would have if we were going out backpacking, right. Or something like that. So I had all the things I would probably normally take for a night or two. And then we would use that to build a leg splint, um, or like a wrist splint or, um, you know, we obviously like went through what should be in our first aid thing and like what to do if someone gets a puncture wound with an ice axe or a stick or something like that, you know? Um, and so it's a lot of things that I felt like through time I've done things and been like, man, this could go like horribly wrong. And then been like, I wonder what would happen if something went like, what do you do if someone's impaled by an object? Right. And you're pretty far from everything. Or what do you do if someone falls down and breaks their leg really bad and the bone sticking out, you know? So like now I definitely feel pretty prepared if something bad were to happen. I mean, you never know exactly how you're going to react in those situations until you're in them, but it was great to have the time set aside in a setting like that. There was no cell service in Peach in Vermont. So you were like focused, you know, there's no excuses for not paying attention, which is very good for me. Um, and to practice those scenarios and like, so that, you know, the first time, if I did have to build a splint or something like that, it wouldn't be in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, I'd feel a little bit more practiced and, um, and things like that. So I was excited. I, I graduated. I'll show you my patch. Oh, cool. That's Ooh. awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. It does sound like a eight days well spent. I mean, that is a big investment, but I feel like that's, that's really good stuff to know. Like, there's a lot of those things that I'm like, Oh, I wish I knew this. And so good job you using those, that time to, uh, you know, just make yourself really valuable in the back country in case something bad did happen. That's, I think those are really, that's really, I'm glad you did that. Yes. 
And everyone says people, cause I'm like, well, I've never, you know, I spend a lot of time in that country and I've never seen a disaster knock on wood. And everyone's like, just wait, you finish the class and then it starts popping up everywhere. So I'm like, oh brother. So we'll see, but hopefully I won't need to use the skills, but I do feel good that if I, if I had to, they'll, they'll be put to good use. And I will definitely just feel a little bit more comfortable, like taking others who are less experienced and maybe less comfortable on some of the terrain that I'm comfortable on, like kind of out with me, which will be good. Cause I will say my ultimate goal Haley is to eventually get involved in search and rescue in this area. Um, it's a big, it's probably pretty big in Bozeman. You get a lot of people like going out on trails and, you know, kind of in over their head or, and just accidents happen, right. When people are out Mm -hmm. there. So I think, you know, I've always kind of felt like having fitness to be able to cover terrain like that is like a great skill. Right. And Mm -hmm. so if I could put that to some good use and volunteer with some search and rescue and stuff like that down the line. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty time intensive to do that kind of thing. Cause you have to be ready to go at any time. So it doesn't exactly fit with me career wise where I am, but that is the goal to like, you know, have the certification like that to be able to help with that. So that's um, very cool. That is very cool. Maybe one of these days I'll be one of the people you take out there and I'll be like, okay, I know I'm in good hands because yeah, see, you can my, feel better. <laughs> my life is mostly spent in the front country <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but I would, that is probably a good, good indicator. If I ever were to go in the back country, I need to be with someone who has good training. And it sounds like you would be a great guide. So maybe someday. And Haley, so I think that's just about everything going on in my life. I finished two weeks of like, well, a little bit more, probably, yeah, two or three weeks of kind of like unstructured fun. That was one of my unstructured fun weeks from training. I have been back on a structured training plan from my coach, Hillary Biscay, for like five days. And I am like sinking in the pool because I really had not been in the pool in quite a long time, but I'm getting back into um, swimming, biking, and running. And my 2,700 yard swim today nearly has me feeling like I have noodle arms. So, um, but I'm getting, I'm getting back into it. I'm happy to hear that you're back there. And and to be fair, 2,700 yards, swim would probably do me in today too. So we're in the same boat, (laughs) but I'm glad to hear that you're back on the swim bike run. And I did see your coach Hillary Biscay this past weekend in Hawaii. She was there. So, um, no, I think that that is very, very exciting. I hope you're like looking at that calendar and I'm, I'm anxious, anxious to hear what you're, what you have planned possibly for, for, uh, the next couple months. But, um, before we get to that, I did a little pre-interview for, for the, for this show, because I wanted to take the pressure off myself a little bit. And, um, you know, cause Hawaii can go lots of ways, but, um, and because I have, was curious about the latest new podcast on, on the block. So Joy McAdams, who is a age group athlete, very strong age group athlete. I think she raced St. George earlier this year. I talked to her right before she raced Augusta. I think she might've, she was definitely on the podium in her age group in Augusta. So she had a great race there, but she is affiliated with waterfall racing, waterfall bank racing team. And some of our listeners might remember that we talked to Rachel Olson from waterfall racing last spring about the couples championship. They put on the couples championship. And so joy just launched the waterfall racing podcast. And we are huge fans of podcasts, other, other podcasts, especially those run by women. And so I, uh, um, asked joy about this podcast, about how waterfall racing is, you know, how things are going through the season and if we can expect to see a couple's championship in 2023. And so we are going to have that conversation right now. Hi joy. Welcome to the iron women podcast. I am so excited to be on here. Um, I mean, you just got to know 
you don't know how many rough sessions listening to your podcast has gotten me through. I'm a big podcast listener when it comes to my long runs or even my long bikes. Um, if I'm in an isolated place, I put my phone in the back of my sports bra and have it on speaker so I can listen to podcasts. And um, you guys are definitely one that I'm always listening to. So thank you for having me. Oh, this well, that, thank you. That makes me feel really, really good. And I want to start this interview by just like telling our listeners a little bit about your background in endurance sports, because I feel like even though I know you competed at the Ironman world championships in St. George earlier this year, you haven't actually been racing very long. So can you tell us a little bit how you got into Ironman? Sure. So it's really a fun story. I'll make it brief. Um, but I got really involved on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I grow medical practices for my real job. Um, and you know, as my profession, I grow medical practices and trying to help them develop a growth mindset. I myself came personally to a standstill in my business and my personal life where I was like, wow, you know, this growth mindset kept coming up on LinkedIn. And people pay thousands of dollars, right, for professional coaches and all of this. And you see all these professional coaches, you know, giving their spiel as why you should hire them. And I'm thinking, you know what, I could probably accomplish a lot of this a lot less expensive if I just challenged myself physically. And I had never run a marathon. And so I was like, you know what, the farthest I've ever run is nine miles. I've always been fit and healthy, you know, went to the gym, ate healthy and all that, but I had never pushed myself. And I thought, you know what, I bet this would have a really big effect on, you know, me personally, uh, my own personal growth if I challenged myself. And that's where it all started. Uh, I signed up. I didn't even know anybody who had run a marathon. I thought, hmm, if I'm going to suffer, let me suffer in paradise. So I did the, a rebel downhill marathon in Hawaii. Um, I also thought, oh, downhill, that's going to be so much easier. That's how novice I was. And um, I went to this marathon, started off, you know, downhill, like taking, I was like, this is great. It feels great. No strategy as to how to take a downhill marathon. So of course, by mile 10, only mile 10, my glutes, my hamstrings, everything was on fire. And I was like, I never felt this in training, you know, and I was so discouraged and I was like, maybe I'm not a marathon runner. And I was just, you know, I was like, no, I've got to push through. I'm pursuing this growth mindset no matter what. Um, Haley, I didn't even take nutrition with me. I had a little fanny pack and I think I just had it for my phone so that I could have my ear pods. I mean, it like I knew nothing about running a marathon, but I finished, um, actually finished under four hours, which was surprising. Dang. Um, but, but I couldn't walk obviously the next day. So the next day, uh, I went and my husband to see the island and we went up in a helicopter tour. And as we're flying over the Kona coast, you know, the world championship start, the pilot says, so Joy, what's next? An Ironman? And I was like, what's an Ironman? So I got back, I Googled Ironman and the rest is history. So from there, I learned to swim. I learned to bike, you know, I thought, well, I've run a marathon. I can do anything now. Uh, and that's how my journey started. And I just got addicted to that truth, which is when you challenge yourself physically, you can't cheat there's no backing out. You have no choice but to grow or but to shrink away from that. And once you experience growth, it becomes addictive. And, um, you know, I think bottom line, that's why we're all here. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that first marathon, it was only in 2019. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. 2019 was my, <laughs> so um, I went on and then I decided, you know, obviously when I Googled what an Ironman was, I did my first little Olympic which I almost drowned on the swim because I took off my wetsuit midway and it was dragging water. I mean, literally I was the last person crying the whole way because they were already packing up the tables for the run. Like, 
like literally last crying at the end of this race. And my husband's like, so you're really going to go for a half Ironman? And I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. And um, Augusta was my first 70.3, which I'm going back to do this weekend um, for the second time. But Augusta was my first ever half Ironman. So it's going to be so fun to go back this weekend and do it and, and see the gains. Yeah, no, that is, that is so fun. I love Augusta as well. Even with that downriver swim doesn't necessarily suit me or the heat and humidity, but there's something about that race that is just so much fun. So I'm excited to track you this weekend, but you also recently launched the waterfall racing podcast. So our listeners should be somewhat familiar with waterfall racing because we did talk to Rachel Olson about the couples championship earlier this year, but how did you get involved with the team? So same thing. Um, you know, obviously after I did the 70.3, you can't stop there. I went on and did a full and, and got into, you know, really into the grit of, um, you know, continuing to grow in, in the sport and, um, taking this growth mindset now back to think about it, the business community and on LinkedIn, it made my LinkedIn community just explode. Like I have a huge following on LinkedIn because everybody started recognizing, you know what, you're right. Like we can challenge ourselves to grow. We can, and they all started doing like, you know, their own little physical challenges, which was, you know, in, in the end, inspiring to me. And so uh, I saw some chit chatter about this guy named Ben. Um, I think I was watching maybe Paula and Eric's YouTube. And then maybe I saw Justin and Jeannie's and they were mentioning this Ben in this waterfall bank, you know, thanking for supporting him. And I was like, who is this Ben guy? So in all creeper fashion, I went and Googled him and looked him up on LinkedIn and sent him a message on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I just want to tell you, I think what you're doing is awesome for these athletes. Because um, now, you know, we're into way past 2020 and I know what they had all been through, you know, with COVID and, you know, not having races. And so I just said, you know, I want to tell you, thank you for what you're doing for these athletes. And I'm more than happy to open up a, an account at your bank just to show my gratefulness. Um, and he messaged me right away, then started asking me, you know, he said, I have these kits. Let me send you a sample kit. Um, and I was like, wow, he's got something else coming. You know, he's planning something. So I met up with him at Clash um, Daytona and uh, we met there for a late night talk, coffee, and um, then he laid out his whole plan. He's like, Joy, I'm about to launch this community and it's gonna have pros and this and that. And I was like, I'm in, I wanna help any way I can. Um, and then that's how we came up with the idea of the podcast, which at first, it, I mean, I, I first recorded these episodes in February, I flew out to Boulder. Um, long story, got my car broken into. I mean, it was just like the, the most challenging trip. And then we had some technical issues so all year long, I'm like, I went through too, too much trouble to not let this come to life. Um, and so finally, just this last, you know, about last month, I was like, that's it. Even if I have to do it in a very simple fashion, we are going to launch this because, you know, done is better than perfect. And it truly is sometimes. Sometimes you just got to jump in before you're 100% ready and get going and learn as you go. Otherwise, it's going to sit on the shelf and never get done. And that's a big lesson that I've learned over time and that I applied to launching this podcast and it's already taking off and I'm super, super excited about it. Right. This does sound like you're very similar to your athletic career. And as a podcaster, you know, podcaster to podcaster, you know, I love talking about podcasts and I did listen to your first three episodes, which just launched and of the waterfall racing podcast. And it looks like the structure or sounded like the structure of each episode is an interview with, uh, an expert and then an interview with a pro, and then you provide a mindset minute. So that's mm -hmm. a lot of content. Like, uh, you know, as someone who puts together podcasts occasionally, uh, I'm curious about just 
are you doing everything? Are you scheduling everyone? Are you writing interview questions? Are you also editing? Are, are you, are you putting it all together? Girl? Yes, I am. And here's the thing. So, you know, initially you think, oh, you're, I'm doing it all on an app because when it comes to me, I'm a busy mom, you know, I have five kids, three, you know, two in college, one's married now. I only have two at home. So it seems like I have free time now, but you know, I still have two kids at home, but I was like, if I can do it on my phone, it'll get done. If I can't do it on my phone, it's not going to get done. And it actually, the format actually works perfect for sport too, because some of those interviews, you know, were done right there on site at the right before the couples championship. If I go to any race, I can just literally interview them right there at the race. And it's going to be in my phone for me to edit, for me to add music to, for me to do everything. And I do it all on my phone. When they call in for an interview, they're just calling in right through a little link. It comes right into the app. The recording's there and I'm able to just go and upload it. It's got to be quick and easy for me to be able to get it done and, uh, you know, consistently be able to do it. So yeah, that's how it's being done. Um, and I'm sure along the way we'll make improvements. Um, sometimes there are a little bit of Wi-Fi issues and that type of thing. But, you know, like I said, sometimes done is better than perfect because we let things sit too long waiting for everything to be perfect before we jump in. And I just knew that the stories and the messages of these pros and what we're learning from each other has to be out there in this world and is going to make a difference for so many athletes. And I didn't want it to sit on the shelf any longer. So I said, let's go for it. <laughs> I do love, I loved the interviews that you did right around the couple's championship there. Alyssa and I have done one episode where we, we, we did it right after we raced in Ironman Coeur d'Alene and we were both like in pretty rough shape. So I know yeah. how difficult that is like to record at a race is so hard, but it's really cool. And I love the like background noise a little bit. Um, again, we don't do it very often because it's so hard. So I have some appreciation for, for what you do. And you've interviewed a lot of the waterfall racing pros, Rachel Olson, Andre Lopez, uh, Justin Metzler, I believe. Do you have like a dream expert or pro who you hope to get on in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of my, well, obviously we still need to get Rennie and Tim and, you know, cause there's so many stories around them right now, especially Tim going into Kona after everything he's been through, um, you know, not going to Kona this year is choosing to step back and spend more time with the kids. There's so many deep stories there amongst these pros. So like every pro has such a deep story. My next um, interview is going to be with Nell Rojas, you know, the Boston U S women's winner. Yeah. She just finished second at the uh, yeah. 10k national championship. I just saw that. Yeah. It says, so I'm grabbing her and we're also going to get into, you know, a little bit of touching on the Eliza Fletcher situation and everything that happened there, woman to woman, runner, you know, like all of these, there's so many deeper stories behind all of these, these pros and, and the things they're facing in their insight and their mindset. And so, yeah, all of them, obviously I'm going to get, you know, one by one and keep checking up with them. Um, but of course I'd love to get Lucy Charles and, you know, everything she's just gone through to come back from injury. Um, she's one of my big iron women, you know, crushes, uh, you know, who is it? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she would be a big one, but everybody, I mean, I, I admire everybody so much. Um, and I'm going to tell the story. I admire you so much too, Haley, because having being able to spend a little time with you at camp, that first smash camp, and then being so nervous to jump into the world championship at St. George there, especially the swim being my absolute weakest. There comes Haley Chura out of the water, leading the swim at the world championship. And I'm standing right there watching it all. You look so boss coming out of the water. And I wanted to yell, I know her, I know her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. 
so inspiring because I'm like, man, you know, that's a moment I know for you was so special, but I wish you could have seen what it looked like because it was just so inspiring and so incredible. And those are the things that, you know, fuel my fire to you to continue on. Yeah, it is cool how many good stories there are in the sport and the accessibility of the pros. So it's great to have your voice out there. When I listen to these interviews, I will say a lot of the pros were mentioning the waterfall racing discord channel. So uh-huh. I've heard of discord, but I admit I'm, I'm a little behind the times on some technology and social media things. Can you explain what the waterfall racing discord channel is? Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't know what it was too until I got this link and it said, join the discord. And I was like, okay, I'll join discord. It's pretty much just this little app where you can have certain members come in. And when you join waterfall, you get to join the little threads and we're all able to chat amongst each other. So we'll have all these different sections, like, um, you know, ask the pros is a little section or gear, gear questions, bike training, you know, run training, specific training things you can go into. Um, and then we'll have all the tabs for all the races coming up and people connect there. Who's going to be racing Augusta, who's going to be racing, you know, Wisconsin, who's going to be racing. And then within those little groups, we all connect and make plans to meet up or whatever. But the coolest is, I mean, there's nothing cooler than you have a question, say like, I just added a new disc wheel to my bike and I have a question. Oh no, now the brakes weren't grabbing. What do I need to do? And then you have Tim O'Donnell pop up and answer your question. And you're like, like who gets that kind of treatment, right? Like, or Rennie, or I have Jeannie Messer. I'm having a problem with my Achilles. And she's like, Joy, are you using your alpha flies for your track session? Because that could be contributing to your Achilles issue. And I'm like, boom, you know, that's true. Like, like who has access to that kind of expertise And they are so incredibly engaged on the platform that when you do show up to these races and you go have coffee with them before the race, you feel like you already know them. It's like, it's incredible. It's mind blowing. Um, But the neatest thing I will tell you from all of it, as I've interviewed and talked to these pros is I don't really, I don't think the pros realized when they first started how much benefit they were going to get from the community, you know, because initially you think that's cool that they're nice enough to, you know, like spend time with, with age groupers and, and give them advice and that type of thing. But especially in Justin's interview, well, all of them really so far when I've talked to them, they're like, you know, you don't realize what it means to us on race day when we know we have all these people tracking us, all the chit chat before the race encouraging us, all the messages on our social media. You're out there racing for something bigger than yourself. And, you know, and then, you know, even Justin mentioned, he's like, I enjoy following all of you guys now, you know, like he really does. Like he's on all my stories, looking at my stuff and like it's really become a mutual community and friendship. And I think it's something that's really encouraged the pros through some of their toughest times. And, and for us, it's neat to see what they go through because, you know, they have hard races, they they're discouraged, they're down, they're going through injury. And when they overcome all of that, you know, all of us and what we're chasing in our journey, you know, it helps us put that in perspective and think, you know, if they can get through that, I can get through this for whatever the reason is that I'm chasing this goal. Um, it's just been such an amazing community and we're really looking forward to seeing it grow even more. That's good. And part of that growth, you know, I love, I love the camaraderie. I love that there's, you know, age group components, every, everyone involved. I like the ethos around this waterfall racing team. I also loved watching the couples championship earlier this year is, can you tell us, is there going to be another couples championship in 2023? I believe they're supposed to be, you know, I don't have all the insight yet um, in with Ben, but uh, it, it went over so well. And I think the couples really enjoyed racing together. More than that, they enjoyed just being able to spend some time with all these other couples because being a couple in the sport, that's a whole nother challenge, right? I mean, um, like for instance, when I see Tim and Rennie packing up with the kids, 
to to travel somewhere to a race I've traveled with little kids and I've traveled by myself with my own little, you know, gear. I can't imagine traveling with all of that. Like, that's insane. Um, you know, there's so many challenges of being couples in triathlon. I think they all enjoyed being able to spend some time together as well, um, as well as all the charities that he gave back to at the end of the race. And then I think the couples, the competitive side of some of the long course couples is they're going to come back and have a different strategy going into, you know, a little bit shorter of the distance. So yeah, I'm really hoping to see that happen again. It would be really exciting. I was there. It was an amazing event. Yeah. I loved watching it and I love, I love unique formats. So it was really cool to see that happening. And thank you so much, Joy, for coming on. I finding your podcast was super easy. Waterfall racing podcast. You can find it on every single platform. First three episodes are out. I'm sure you have much more coming in the next coming weeks. Good luck to you in Augusta and at the 70.3 world championship. I'll be tracking you, cheering you on and, uh, listening as you, as you continue on your podcasting and your racing adventure. Thank you, Haley. Thanks so much. It was great catching up. And big thanks to joy for coming on the show. We are looking forward to more big things from the waterfall racing team pros and age groupers in 2023. Great to have you know, uh, another player in the game. And I, I was a fan of the couple championship watching. It was really, really fun. I, I'm, I, I'm not expecting an invite, but <laughs> for 2023, but I think I'm a big fan and love, love watching unique race formats. All right, Haley, I'm not going to make our listeners wait any longer because I really want to hear all about the world championships in Kona that happened last Thursday for the women. Um, and you are our top point of view to tell us what happened. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Um, I want to hear about what Kona was like in the days leading up to the women's race. I heard, you know, I saw some things on social media and like heard murmurs that it was like so crowded. I know there were also kind of some precautions, like the race was asking the athletes to take to kind of ease some of the burden of like more people on the community and things like that. Um, so I'm curious, like, where were you staying? Did you notice a increased of people? Was it just as crowded as you felt? I mean, I feel like it's always pretty crazy there in the days leading up. So how did you feel like it compared with just the, the, in the pre-race days with the women's race on Thursday and the men's race on Saturday? Right. So I arrived in Kona on Sunday before the Thursday race, which is a little bit tight. Um, but a lot of that was because I had, um, qualified quite late August 21st and then, um, just it's expensive and how the accommodations kind of worked out. It, it made sense for me to arrive on Sunday. And then I also, you know, that's the exact same amount of time that I had traveled before Montremblant, which was a good race for me. And so there's a part of me that's like, okay, we treat this like any other race and get there, you know, three days before, I guess, or, you know, three full days. So you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to kind of prep, but just like not too much time. So that was when I arrived, which is a little tight. You know, if something went wrong with my bike, there was, I had some contingency ideas, but luckily everything went pretty smooth. My flights were smooth and maybe in the future, I would go a day earlier just to kind of have a little bit more time. Um, because Kona is such a long trip, even from, I was flying from Arizona. So like Western U S and it still is a long way, but, um, but I think, you know, that worked pretty well for me. I stayed in Waikoloa, which is about 30 miles out of town. And, um, it's, you know, I think that that actually worked really well for me. It was a little bit hard. I did not rent a car. I was relying on my friends, Betty and Ernie for their rental car. And so I just like hired a driver to drive me up there at the beginning and you're a little bit far. And so that did limit, like 
how, you know, mobile I was, but it maybe was good because it kind of gave me like a boundary where I couldn't just pop into town and forced me to even prior to landing on the Island, I kind of had a itinerary schedule, like with my training and any like media obligations for like when and where that was going to happen. And then I had like small contingencies on like, if I don't get the swim in at this time, I will do it at this time. You know, like that was kind of how I tried to like actually write it out. And I think that was one of the best things I did to help um, the people I'm around kind of know what I was doing and then also help me like visualize it and like, see, like, this is how things are going to be done because it is such a busy week. And I hadn't been in Kona in five years. And so, and even in the previous years, when I've raced in Kona, the first time I ever raced, there was 2009 and that was like during the financial crisis. And so it was a very, it was, it was a much smaller race, much like very different vibe. Like stores were closed. It was very quiet. And, you know, it just seemed like it got busier and busier every year I went back. So I was expecting things to be pretty crazy. And that first Monday I did get up early and drove up to Kauai High and did Road Javi, which is the big climb on the course, the far end of the course, just to, you know, see that again and experience the winds. And it was definitely, there were more cyclists and felt like more cars than usual, but the cars are obviously not related to the race. I think that's just general traffic. Um, and I was very glad I went early. I definitely had some age group men below by me who were, I was like, that was probably the biggest difference because that is a ride I would normally do Wednesday before a Saturday race. And so, um, which I think is fairly close, you know, that's fairly close to race day for the average person to do a ride like that. It's like a two hour ride. Um, and, but that's just like, works really well with me and like how I taper. And so doing it on Monday was like, actually just like how I would do a normal taper for Ironman, but having the men's race later meant there were just a lot more men doing a long ride. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, these guys are going so fast. And I was like, ah, and, but I also, you know, I know some age group men, they like to go fast. So I just kind of stuck with my own, my own plan, but I was glad I went early because when I was descending that there were just so many people still like on bikes going up, it was like more of the people on bikes and that kind of traffic that I was just like, Oh gosh, I can't handle this. And, um, and so going early was probably a good key. And then I, um, I didn't go down into or into Kona until Tuesday. And I had heard, you know, it's just nuts. It's nuts. And actually when I went down for like my breakfast with Bob interview and I did a quick swim, it was way calmer than I expected, like way calmer. We were able to get parking spaces. We were able to, um, you know, the pool was, it was busy, but then actually people were moving really well through the lanes. And so not as bad as I expected, got my swim in, like it was no big deal. And then, um, you know, getting to breakfast at Bob was no big deal. Registration was no big deal. Like I was ready for it to be just like totally nuts. And it felt like normal Kona and way better than I expected. So I don't know if that's just me and maybe my expectations were set to be really, everything was really, really, really busy, but it wasn't that bad. And then staying up at Waikoloa, like I, I'd always travel with a trainer just because I'm ready in case of, you know, anything I'm going to get my workout in. But it was, as long as I went early, it was fine too, which is easy to do in Hawaii because you have such jet lag. If you're coming from the U S like, um, you usually wake up pretty early, but it, it wasn't too terrible. Like training out there wasn't too terrible. I mean, there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of cars. It's kind of one of those places where there's only so many roads and people are living and going to work and all of that. And so you do have to be aware. I brought my lights. I was bright colors, match, match, queen kits in full effect. Um, 
and, you know, tried to keep myself as safe as possible and just not be too aggressive in any of my intervals or anything like that. Like safety always trumps intervals in my, you know, all days of my life. And so, you know, I was, I was trying to be smart about things, but I actually felt like it was really smooth. Nice. Nice. Okay. So I am eager to talk to you about the race. Like, was it, did it feel different, um, in the morning with just, you know, a couple thousand women, how many, do you know the total number of, of athletes racing on the day, I guess. And then, <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll say 2000. Oh, we'll just call it that. And, um, I guess there were some men involved in the Thursday race. There were some age groups of men, but overwhelmingly it was the women's race. Right. So how did that feel? Was it a different vibe? Was it, you know, or were, you know, I feel like also usually for the pro race, you're kind of in the, the pro corral, so to speak anyway. And so it might not feel too different because nerves are nerves and you're at the front, you're at the front. Right. But did you notice a difference for that? And then take us through your swim. It was so cool. Alyssa, like it was so cool having so many women. Like there was, it was just like really, really neat. I mean, it felt just as busy as, as a normal Kona. Like it was, it felt just as busy, but our, our, the pro transition area was a little bit, it was on a Lee drive. So it was not on the pier, which I think was something we had been fighting for. Like when they back, you know, years ago, when they said they couldn't have 50 women, you know, there's not enough room on the pier. And we're like, uh, we can also just like move our bikes off the pier. And that's basically what they did. And it was awesome. It was so, so cool. And then it was just like a really cool morning. I got, you know, I just, it was like, I, I hadn't been in Hawaii for so long and it was just, it was, it was like things were similar, but, but slightly different. And I loved it being on Thursday. I loved, you know, just having all the pro women there together. And then, um, uh, I mean, it's a slightly different flow from the past, but I thought it was actually better run really, really smooth. And it was just really awesome before the start. Like, I think I sat with Sarah true for a little bit and we were like looking at pictures of her son and just kind of like chilling and, um, just, you know, I actually felt really, really good before the start and, you know, we swam out and then the swim start, I think was, a, I don't know. I just got a little chaotic for me and I missed, I just had a weird start. And so I kind of missed, um, that the group, you know, and I, I had a pretty rough swim for me and I was just like, couldn't, I don't know what was wrong exactly, but you know, it's been a weird summer of swimming for me with the pool being closed. And I think I was just missing a little bit of that, uh, you know, that edge that I normally would have. And, um, and so I was like, okay, you know, you're a little further back, whatever. It's a long day. And the only bad thing, Alyssa, was that someone, I think I know who it is, but I won't name them would not stop touching my feet oh, that's every the worst. single that's... stroke, every <sighs> single stroke. And so I tried to kind of like get ahead. I was just like, I'm going to, I tried, I tried the like kicking hard, you know, to kind of let someone know I'm a little annoyed. I tried like baking a little break every single stroke, every single stroke. Um... And it's just a swim etiquette thing. And this person is definitely a good enough swimmer. They know what they're doing. And I know what, I also know what they're doing. It's a tactical thing. They don't want to sight, right? Sighting is hard. takes a lot of energy. So if you can just touch someone's feet, then you know that they're right there. You, I'm, you know, you know that I'm sighting and leading you on course. And like, it is but a tactical the bubbles thing. are there too. It is. I mean, I disagree. The bubble as someone who made their triathlon career, trying to find feet to swim on. Right. It's like, you get really close to the bubbles and like every once in a while, if you hit a foot, like, okay. Right. But like, you should not be hitting feet. That is so annoying. And it just takes like one time of someone doing it to you for you to be like, oh yeah, that is so, and like, oh, it's no, it's not, 
it's tactical. I almost think it's tactical. And then they being like, I don't care if someone else is that really annoyed and hates me because you can swim really close to the bubbles. The bubbles are coming and they tell you that you're still right on the feet. Yes. So at the turnaround, I put in like a surge, tried to like drop them. And I knew there was like, I kind of knew I was like, there's a big group. These are not who I want to be dragging around. Um, and so I tried to make a little break. I couldn't do it. Feet tapping still happening. So I actually pulled over and did backstroke. And I was like, you go ahead, you go ahead. Like I'm done. Like I can't. Did you do the it. kind of backstroke? You were just like backstroking and yeah, going. And, I mean, and it like, was obvious. Amazing. And like it was, it was just like, I was just like, I can't handle it. Like I'm gonna lose my mind. And it's a long day. And, and I'm then like, your back this... backstroke was still strong enough to like keep leading. No, the I just like, well, <laughs> you can just go up here. So this person they yeah. just lead. And okay. then I was like swimming on their hip, you know, not yeah. on their feet. Yep. Um, and so I was swimming on their hip until I think they led for about 10 minutes and then they slowed down and they were like, it was like very obvious, like a tactical thing. Like now it's my turn to lead again. And I'm like, you know, Ugh. I won't, I won't repeat my internal monologue. Yeah. That's so annoying. <laughs> we would have so to have like a, a explicit rating on this, but, <laughs> um, but I was just like, fine. Okay. Whatever. You know, it's a long day. I'll just lead this group through here. And so I mean, I was disappointed in my swim a little bit, but I also recognize that I'm very fortunate that a disappointing swim puts me out of the fifth, which is not bad. Um, but I knew that the group I had just pulled through was like very, very strong. And then tried with transition to like go with them. Didn't quite stick with them. And so I was a little bit alone, um, for the first part of the bike, but it was also like, okay, it's a long day, just like, you know, kind of go through it. And, um, and I think like fairly early I had the group with like Laura Phillip, uh, anyhow, Daniel reef come by. And it was, it was interesting because I've been passed by Daniel reef many times in my career. And, um, it was a little bit different of a pass. And I know that's, I know that how she races Kona is that she really blasts like the, the last, like, you know, 20 some miles of the bike. Like that is what she's really known for. And so I was able to kind of stay with them, like keeping 12 meters back. And, um, I know that there was a lot of talk about penalties during the race. And I, from what I saw, I mean, the penalties were deserved, I think, because you are at a race like that with the tactics, like how everything is, you are pushing the edge. Like you are always like you are pushing the edge of legality. You know, it's like, you need to keep it right at 12 meters. You don't want it to go to 13, you know? And it's like, and I can see where you can accidentally slip into 11, you know, meters, and then you're eligible for a penalty. And I, um, I, I think it's just part of the race. Like when you're racing at that level, you have to push it like that. And so I don't, I mean, I think it's just part of the sport. And so when you, you hear about those penalties, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's good that they were giving penalties. It's good that they were, the officials were there watching. And, um, I, I see how it happened, you know, and it's like, it's not that, you know, any bad thing about that certain person who got a penalty, or I don't think they were unfair. I think that it was just like, you have to be pushing it and you're just like, right on that edge. And so, um, and in Kona, it is fairly, you can see like the, you know, the like reflectors are 12 meters apart. And so it is like, you have a, a thing, but it is, it was just hard. And so going through the aid station around mile 30, I, um, I really, really needed a lot of aid. <laughs> and so I like had to slow down and get like everything I could. And I kind of lost the group there. And so I was by myself again. And it was kind of funny because I did get past like, again, by a few of the women who got penalties. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just getting passed by the same people over and over. <laughs> but, um, but you know, kudos to them for, for taking the penalty and then riding back up and just, uh, still riding really strong, obviously very, very strong athletes. And, um, I felt good on the bike. You know, I was just like, okay, I feel like I have a little confidence coming in from Tremblant. Like I had a good ride there. 
I felt like I wasn't quite as hot as I had been in past years, which I don't know if that's actual weather or if it was just like the time in Tucson did pay off that I was a little more heat acclimatized than usual. There were fewer aid stations. So I did hit every single aid station. I think I missed the very first one, but then every single one after that. And to the point where I was, I was like slowing down, making sure I got the water and any fluids that I needed. And I went through more fluids than I probably have in any Ironman ever. And so I think that was good. Um, you know, so I took good care of myself and I, I felt like there was a little, like the climb and descent of Javi, we had a few crosswinds, but it wasn't nearly as bad as past years when I've been there. And, um, so I was, I was kind of thankful for that. Like, I was like, I don't really need, I, I know I, I did the, like the, this or that with, uh, the feisty team before. And they're like, windy or not windy. And I was like, I don't know. And I'm like, now I'm like, I needed not windy on the day, but, um, <laughs> We, we did have a bit of headwind coming in. Um, I know that looking at the splits from the men's day, like they had a nice tailwind and I was like wishing for a tailwind coming in. Cause that, if there was a part of my bike ride that I struggled a lot, it was like the last, you know, 24 miles, which is probably why Daniela is such a strong athlete. Cause she can like push those last 24 miles at last 40 K. And I was, I was not there. And I was definitely probably needing, you know, missing some aid stations. I think Susie Cheetah, Maya stage Nielsen, Ruth Astle came by and like, I could not really go with them. Like they were just like much stronger. So that's something to work on. And, but I was still in pretty good spirits coming in. Um, you know, I thought I was like, I know I'm further back, but I'm here in Hawaii. I'm part of this. Like, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And I was, um, ready to like, kind of just start the run. And it was, it was really cool coming in. And I will also say that I think I broke my watch, like during the swim. Like, I don't know what happened, but like, it was like full of water or something like that. So I couldn't see the face, like something happened to it, like the seal broke or something. <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, I'll just like jog a marathon, you know, like, I'll just see, I'll just go by feel, which so, I do quite use a watch during a marathon to like, keep yourself from going out too fast. Like this happened earlier in the year when I lost my watch, like going to the race in Chile and I was like half marathon. I'm like, yeah, you just go hard. You just go hard. And yeah. But full marathon, I was like, oh, I kind of need a watch. But I was like, why does this happen on this day? Why and did you it? keep your heart rate strap on, or were you like, screw it, I don't need this on then? If I, I should have taken it, it off in transition, yeah. like I should have. Okay. I don't think I realized the watch wasn't working until further on. But that is why I pulled it down later okay. when I just like was like, I don't need a heart rate strap. I'm, I'm not getting any data from this. Yeah. So I did pull it down later. I mean, I don't want to lose it. Those things are expensive. True. But um, yeah. so I'm just like, but I did like pull it down around my waist. But um, but. I, you know, coming out of transition was just like, did you know where you were at that point? No, okay. I, I knew I was pretty far back. Like I knew I was pretty like, but then I also know it's a long way to run. And I, um, I, I knew I was around people like, you know, Ruth Astle, Susie, Susie Cheetah. I'm like, these are women that I really admire and who've had really good races in Hawaii. And like, even if they're not having their best race ever, I'm like, okay, being around them is pretty cool. And I, um, you know, I was just like, okay, we'll just see how this, I was, I was really hot, but I was like, we'll just manage, manage your temperature. I will say the volunteers in transition were really awesome. I mean, volunteers in these races are just angels. And I, you know, took my time kind of in transition, made my sure I was like, had my bottle filled with ice water. And I was just like, okay, let's go. Cause I knew these aid stations were 1.6 miles apart and I can't make it 1.6 miles like without aid. And so I just had to carry my own, which I think was really good. And 
running down a lee. Oh, it's so cool. Lisa. I mean, I haven't done that in five years and it is just like the coolest. There's so many people out cheering. I saw so many people I know. I saw Karen Smyers like cheered for me and I was like, you know, 1995 champion. And I was like, oh my God, a world champion is cheering for me. And, um, you know, I just tried to like really soak that in and I felt you know, the first mile is always a little rough. And then I just like felt really good. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with this. Like try to, you know, fuel my effort and manage the heat and just like see what happens. And, um, I kind of started to like see some people ahead of me and, um, you know, just didn't try to overtake anyone too quick and just kind of ease my way into things and just kind of go when I felt good and, um, just going a lot by feel. And I think, you know, having no watch, having kind of this, this situation was, it's good to be an experienced athlete and having done this before and also knowing that like the queen K section is so long. So not getting a little too carried away with all the crowds, but Ali, he was awesome. I did Natasha Vandermerva, who we've had on the, on the podcast. Um, I also a pro athlete, she and coach, and she, I think she was there coaching a lot of her athletes. She did tell me, I think she told me I was like in 21st. Um, and, but she's like, but you're running faster than 10 women ahead of you, which well, was like really good information. Like, yeah, it, having actually spectated an Ironman, it's hard to give good information. And so I really appreciated Natasha because that gave me a boost too. just like, not that I was going to run up into the top 10, but just that I was like, okay, I am running well, like I, I am running well. And like, just, you know, I'm having a solid day because it's so easy to feel like you're so far behind and everyone else is having a, such a better day. And it was like, oh no, this is objective information. Like I'm having a good day. So, you know, keep yourself going. And you know, Elite is an out and back. And so I was able to see Lucy leading and Chelsea just like charging behind her. And I was like, oh my God, Chelsea's going to catch her. And I'm a fan of the sport. You know, the podcast makes you that way. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I was excited because I was like, oh, we could have an American winner. You know, like, um, and hey, I, I helped her on that swim. A little part of her victory, no. Um, anyway, so she I was, was not just, the foot tapper, though. Just she to wasn't be clear. the foot tapper. She wasn't the foot tapper, <laughs> but she was in the group. She, I think, she was in the group. So, um, I felt a little part of her, her, her victory. Maybe. Heck yeah. I'll tell Heck myself yeah. that. But um, it was just cool to see like how fiercely they were racing, and I think I did get like a boost from that. And um, and then you know you make the turnaround, and I just felt. I felt great on a league, um, going up Polani. So you have a big climb around, I think mile seven ish, um, going up Polani and you know, the queen K is coming and there's an A station at the top of Polani. And I was like really needing it. And I get there and like, this guy is handing me ice water. And I was like, I said, Holy shit. I like yelled that because it was Jan Fredano. And I was like, and then he's like, did you agree? Like he was like pouring ice water on me. And I was like, it gave me this wild boost, Alyssa. Like it was just like three-time world champion. You know, he is her and like, he is out here at an aid station volunteering and pouring water on me. And I, it gave me the, like this huge boost, like leading out onto the queen K because I've, you know, I've, I've struggled with my place in the sport and I've struggled with like, you know, my feelings about the sport and in those moments, like having Karen Smyers cheer for me, having Jan Ferdano out there, I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is such a cool thing in our sport where you have these world champions out here cheering and volunteering and being a part of my day, you know? And I was just like, that is so cool. Like so cool. And it just made me love the sport because I just think, I don't know. It was just one of those things that I had this huge boost. And so I went on to the queen K like on top of the world, like feeling so, so good. And, um, 
And it was just like, yeah. So I do, you know, say a thanks to Jan for, for that, because I think that was like, just really cool. Did you see the video of Jan of Jan? I think he was pouring water on Daniela and that was like a, you know, a really cool moment, but, um, yeah, he was good. He was a good volunteer too. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just so fun. Cause obviously it, no one knows like what you're going through, right. More than like him. Right. And too. So it's like, okay, like it is on all levels. I feel like that is such a fun, huge boost. Um, and my interactions with him have always been really, really nice. I think he's just a genuinely nice guy. Um, and yeah, to see him, I think that's setting such a good example for pros in the sport and, uh, just yeah, at all levels. Right. And really cool. Um, but okay. So Haley, so you're out on the queen K you go to the energy lab, you're coming back through like what that's by far one of the hardest parts of the run because the crowds on elite E help buoy you through that. Right. Even if you're not feeling good, the queen K the sun is usually beating down. The energy lab is notorious for being really hot. The eight stations are now 1.6 miles apart. Right. So we saw a lot of coverage of Chelsea Sodaro, right? Like hitting the aid stations. She was going so fast, stopping, getting what she needs and carrying on. Right. Um, so that was clearly like a necessity of the day to be utilizing the aid stations. You know, it'd be interesting to see if they were more like a mile apart, which they had been in the past, like how that would have changed her strategy if it had at all, because 1.6 miles is a long time to go. Um, so tell us about the back half of that race. Like kind of what were your, what was your thought process coming? You know, I always find coming down the hill of Kalani, like that next, what is it like 1.2 miles you have at that point? If that, I think maybe even less, right. Is always like such a fun part of the race coming back into town, um, with all of the cheers and things like that. So what was that like for you? At what point did you feel, did you ever feel secure that you were in 13th and feeling good? And like, this was such a good day for you out there. Yeah. So I like going out on the queen K, um, I was, you know, very nervous about that section. Cause it is, it's just very exposed. It's very long and very lonely. Like you said, they like kind of cut off a lot of the, um, the spectators this year, they couldn't like cut off everyone because the northbound side of the road, it's a, you know, divided highway. So you have like two lanes headed North, two lanes headed South. And they had, um, runners like two-way run traffic and then incoming bike traffic on the southbound lane and then the north side was actually open to traffic and so there were all some people on bikes that could be on the shoulder on that side too and so it was different a little set up a little different because they couldn't totally close the road and um but actually I, one of the things i loved was that we because i haven't done the race since it wasn't a mass start and so the waves definitely spread things out more with the age groupers. And so while you're running out, there's like so many age groupers still riding in because they had started later. And so I saw a lot of people I knew a lot of people cheered for me and that was just the coolest thing. Like it was so cool. And I was feeling really good. And I think at the top of there, we had a little breeze, you know, coming down as I was coming down, like Mark and Dave Hill after Polani, like headed on the queen K I, um, you know, I, you're at like mile eight, nine, 10, all that. Like I was feeling really, really good, like really good. And so I just kind of went with that and, um, managing fueling, managing the heat really well, headed down into the energy lab, feeling really good. Um, I, you know, the energy lab section is longer than the last time I did it. So I was like, you know, cautious about that, but I felt way better than I ever have in the energy lab. And that was where I actually got to see, you know, being in the energy lab with like Chelsea coming, you know, near the top of that, I saw Chelsea, I saw, Lucy Charles, I saw Annie Haug and they all looked so good. And 
I've also never been that close to the front of the race before. And I thought that that was really, you know, neat for me to just like experience that and just see all those women. And I, I took a lot of energy from watching them, you know, and I was like, okay, you're in this, you're in it with them. Like, yeah, I'm a little further back, but I was like, this is so cool. Like you get a front row seat to, to all of this and you're not that far back. And so I kind of just tried to like rule with things. And I, I, also did not know exactly what place I was in. I guess I could have counted, but like my counting skills are not that good at that point. My, I was happy with how I was mentally, just, it was much better than how I was actually mentally halfway point in Tremblant. And so I was like, you're with it, you're in it, you know, like, um, just keep things rolling. And so made the turn of the energy lab and really tried to like, okay, you know, you're headed home and, um, you know, it's an uphill out of the energy lab. I felt pretty good. I had passed um, Maya stage Nielsen, Ruth Astle. And then I, you know, wasn't too far behind Susie Cheatham and Laura Siddle. And so I was just like feeling good. I could see like Heather Jackson was running really strong behind, um, Garuzzi Fradis, who I know is an incredible runner was not too far behind and running very, very fast. And so I was like, okay, you have, you have pressure behind you, but like keep rolling. Like at this point I had just been like moving up and I, hit the queen K back, you know, you're about seven, between seven and eight miles to go. And it just was like, I think it, things just got really hard. I think Maya and Ruth repassed me and then Ruth like took off ahead. And then Maya and I repassed her when she was walking through an aid station. And there were just times where it was like, you were at, you, you could not see an aid station. It's a straight shot road you know, it's a straight shot road. And like, you could not see an aid station. And that like blew my mind, I think, because in the past, like the way I've managed this race was there were so many aid stations and I could just say, you know, get aid station to aid station. And it just felt like there were no aid stations. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so hot. I need some sugar. Like I need a coconut and a Red Bull, you know, I need something. And I couldn't see an aid station. And I think that that, that was when I started to struggle and I definitely started to slow down. And it was just like, um, I, you know, got a little like testy with like, you know, even I was appreciative of the cheers, but I was just like, I am doing everything I possibly can. And I, you know, was just like, am I going to finish? Like, that was probably the only time where I was like, can I even finish this? And I think you see some of the, you know, if you watch the results and you're like, how could someone get to mile 22 and not finish? And I'm like, those last like four miles are really, really brutal. Cause you're so hot. You've come so far. And then it is just like, there weren't as many aid stations. You just didn't have the landmarks to like get you through that. And it's mentally really hard, physically really hard. And, um, I totally understand it. Cause I was like, you know, with 5k to go, I'm like trying to think of, you know, 5k is not that far. And I'm like, it feels so far, you know, and, and even just like going up Mark and Dave Hill, like, I felt like I was like hunched over, you know, barely making progress. And I had no idea what place I was in. I thought maybe I was in top 15, but, um, but I was also just like, I knew I could get passed by like a whole bunch of people in like that last two miles. And so, you know, just trying to like make it to the finish. Like that was like my biggest goal. And so coming down Polani, it's a steep descent and you're like, okay, I have one mile to go, but I definitely used that aid station. And I was still like unsure, unsure that I'm going to like make it unsure that, I mean, I felt pretty sure I was going to make it, but I, um, 
I felt, you know, just, I was like, oh goodness. But the cool thing is then you take a left on Kuakini and a lot of age groupers are running out. And I saw one of my athletes, Tiancia James saw her. So I had not seen her before. So I was like very nervous about her, you know, I just like, had she made it and I saw her. And so I was like, oh my gosh, she's on the run. Like, that's so cool. And, um, and then it was just like, okay, I'm going to make it. And I think at that final turn on Hualai or not final second to last turn, um, you know, it's like where Paula Nui Frazier sat down in 95. And so there's like so many historic things that I, I remember from these last couple miles. And so I'm like cautiously optimistic, but, um, knowing that really, really experienced people have struggled in that last mile. And so I saw Stacy, who is from Dynamo Multisport, the group. And I think I asked her, I was like, can you see anyone behind me? Cause I like, did not have the energy to look behind. And I was like, can you see anyone? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, I think I got this. And so when I made the turn on a Lee, I just sort of, cause I just wanted to know if I was going to have a sprint finish. Like <laughs> I, you know, just like mentally ready myself for that. And I was like, okay, it doesn't seem like that's going to be that way. And I got on a Lee and there's just so many people cheering. And, you know, I always tell myself like the finish on a Lee is so worth it. Like there were so many moments out there that was so hard. It was so hard. And the finish on a Lee is worth it. Like, it's so cool. There's so many people. It's like, very iconic, you know, it's shaded. There's these huge banyan trees. And I did try to really, really appreciate that because in 2017, when I raced, I was like, of course I'm going to be back. And then I wasn't for five years. I didn't qualify, you know, pandemic happened. And I think now that's given me the perspective of like, really, really appreciate every finish line because you never know if life can change really, really quick and just really be proud of myself. I think I handed out a few high fives and just sort of tried to really soak that in and got across the finish line. And then it was like, like, I felt like it was like two seconds later. I hear Ruth, I hear Gurutsi, I hear Heather. And I was like, Oh goodness, they were so close, but, um, but I, I don't think I could have done any more, but it just showed how, how close the women's field was and how close the racing was where it was like, people were really close together. And the difference between, you know, uh, the places wasn't that much. And I think that that was really cool. We really got to see the women's race, like really showcased. And it was really cool not having, you know, any pro men, any age group men really mixed in, um, the hand cycle, the guy who was like the PC guy who I think crossed the finish line first watching him ride up Bavi on a hand cycle was like very impressive. So I was like, you know, we, that, that was really cool, but that's like, you know, that very similar to like any major marathon. And, uh, but it was just, it was so special to like have that finish line be like all women. I think that was like one of the coolest things. It was definitely really cool to watch. And I think, you know, it was, it was just nice to have the spectators and the commentators only focused on one race to be calling, to be really thinking about the cameras on one race. You know, all of that was just a notch above what we've seen in the past when they've had to flip between things. And logistically, it's so much harder to, to follow two races at once. Right. Um, so it was a joy to watch and really fun to see you finish, hold that 13th place strong. I think third American, which is huge, right? I think, yeah, um, you can I think check me right. on that, but I think, I think you were third Kelsey, American, which is Chelsea yeah. guy than me. Yeah. I think yeah. that's right. Um, so that's, I mean, huge, huge day for you out there, Haley. I've seen your struggles firsthand out there in Hawaii. And so I think it's like such a good lesson for people who know your career and have followed you and are a fan of you to, you know, really take a look at like what you've done, right. You come back, you show up, right. The like keep showing up kind of adage rings very true. when I think of this and, you know, to see you have a day like that, where things did come together and you felt good was so fun to watch, even from like 
5,000 miles away. Um, but, and a special thanks, or special thanks, special shout out, of course, to the podium, um, Chelsea Sodaro, first American champion since 1995 when Karen Smyers um, was the champion. Uh, second mom, Natasha Bodman was the first mom to win. And Chelsea is now the second mom to win. And it was huge. Haley, I actually picked Chelsea as my dark mare pick for the oh, podium. Wow. Good so job I was you. very, very proud of myself, um, for that pick. And it was, it was just fun to watch. I think, you know, I obviously thought she was a contender, but a lot of people did not, I think kind of think she was a contender. So it was really fun to watch that all unfold very exciting women's race. And again, not having them have to like break away at times that were key moments in the women's race to like, so we could see all of this unfold was really, really nice. Um, second place was Lucy Charles. Very cool to see her kind of come back after injury this year and be in second. And then Annie Haug for third place. Um, so rounding out the podium. So huge congratulations to all the women who are out there very special day for the women to have that their own race have equal pro numbers in Kona. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for the fact that this is finally happening for the women. And I think it sounds like everything went well. So hopefully this is like a building block for things to come right. Better, not better women's racing. Cause I don't know how you could get better women's racing than what we have right now, but like continuing just, you know, the continuing the legacy, I think year yeah. after year. I love the two day format. I love going on Thursday. I, um, I, I know that in my interview with Feisty, I talked about how I was planning to leave Friday and go to a friend's wedding. I did not make my flight. Oh no. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm not in Atlanta right now. I'm really sorry to Dorian Grant. I was in, I just was overly ambitious on, uh, my post-race plans and I'd forgotten how hard Hawaii is and how hard, you know, Ironman is. And I was just like, there was no way I, you know, I was out there kind of late after the race, um, cheering on my athletes, Vanessa and Tiancia, who both finished and, um, some of the smash fest queen teammates and dynamo teammates. And just some of the, the people who had cheered for me during their own race. I was, it was great to be able to get back out there and, and cheer a little bit. Plus I was like, in no bit, I had no business, like doing much more than laying on the ground and occasionally getting up and cheering. Um, and so I got, yeah, I actually, um, Shannon bowl, who is one of the, um, uh, Smash Fest Queen. Yeah. yeah, she was there cheering and, uh, like was my chaperone post race. And this has happened to me at two race at both St. George and, um, and, uh, uh, Kona now where like one of the team SFQ teammates who's there volunteering and cheering, um, I like like changes my whole, like makes my whole like existence capable or whatever. I can't even put words together several days later, but, um, so she like helped chaperone me after like to, and it was really nice to like get my bike and all this, you know, and just go back and see people and like, and then Betty Janelle, who was there cheering as well, like, like having some people afterwards. Cause I was like walking to go get it. I'm like, Oh gosh, I just want to make sure I don't pass out. And so it was nice having, so thank you to Shannon. And she actually ended up taking my bike. Cause we like could not fit it in the car. So I was just like in no shape to get on a nine or 10 hour flight to Atlanta the next day. And so I just had to like, you know, <laughs> call an audible and just sort of, um, take a little bit of time. So I ended up staying with your athlete, Lauren Palmer, who also had a, a, a really solid race. She, you know, good job to you coach, um, in Hawaii. And so I stayed with her and her family, they had an extra room. And so I got to watch the men's race. And I think that that was actually really, really good for me as both an athlete and a coach. Um, it was wild. It was very wild because 
Lauren's husband, Brent was also racing. And so I woke up very, we woke up very early, you know, two days later and it felt like deja vu where I was like, I felt like I was racing and I was like, Oh goodness, I can't do this again. <laughs> but, um, it was cool to kind of see everyone go through that. And like, from the perspective that you're not part of it, like, or, you know, you're on the outside and what it really did was it helped me gain perspective on how hard, how hard that race is, you know? And I think that that was really, really valuable because when you're in it, you know, it's just, your mindset is totally different. You have to just like, be like, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not thinking about this in totality. I'm not thinking about it as hard. You know, you, it looks like it's easy for the people at the front. And when you're on the sidelines spectating, it's like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. Why does anyone do this? It's so hard. But then also like, I'm so impressed, you know, even by the people who were very obviously struggling, you know, Lionel Sanders was far back and like, you know, on his run, he was very obviously struggling. And I was like, so impressed. I mean, that guy is impressive, even on his bad days. And, um, you know, Chris Leiferman, who was fourth in St. George, you know, walking a lot of the marathon and walking the finish shoot, it like made me very emotional just because I know what it's like to have a bad day. You know, when you put in a ton of training and I think we all do, you know, it's, it's very hard to have everything come together on the day. And, um, and how much respect he had for the race. And I mean, I, I don't want to like put words in his mouth because obviously this is like my outside opinion, but it just felt like he was, you know, doing this for reasons, you know, and just, I was, I was very impressed, you know, and just, I, but I also felt for him because I know how hard that is like, uh, to be out there for that long and just to, you know, have put in so much training and not have it come together and to have it so, so painful to like walk that finish shoot. Um, I mean, I just, I wish him the best in his recovery. And I just, you know, I, I thank all those men for, for that perspective. And, you know, some of the age group men as well, you know, some who had great days, some who had not as great days. It just was like, it was really cool to watch that and, and also watch how like, it doesn't like what you think was going to happen. doesn't happen. Like I, I, you know, it's just like, that's why we race it. And we don't just go off of the stats or the past results or algorithms or whatever, because, the race is really, really, really hard and to have everything come together on the day is, is really special and really few and far between, but, um, yeah. And it's, it, that was, that was really cool. Well, where are you now then? I'm in California. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm at my mom's house. I was like, wait, are you in Kona still? Like what's going you on? Know, are we I just, just like, like living I live in Hawaii. Life? I, I live in Hawaii now. No, I got a, I changed my flight. I got a flight out on uh, Sunday and came to California because I couldn't, I couldn't make it all the way to Montana. I needed a rest stop. So I'm staying at my mom's place in California and which is, is like perfect. This is like my recovery zone. Um, so I'm, I'm missing out. I had all these plans in the Atlanta area. I was going to go to a football game. I was going to, you know, go to a Georgia game. I was going to run the 10 miler with one of my athletes, Shelly. And I <laughs> no. was like, even the last 10 miles of the, um, marathon, I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, this is just like running the 10 miler. And then I finished and I was like, I can't run 10 feet. What was I thinking? Thinking I could run a 10 miler a week later. Like, I just don't, I think I have forgotten how hard that race is. Oh like, my God. <laughs> I was, I apologize to everyone I made plans with and then canceled them with because <laughs> I, I forgot, I forgot how bad I feel. <laughs> well, hopefully you signed all of your cancellations, but from the 13th in the world champion. So I'm sure everyone forgave you. Um, but Haley, so to wrap this up, we do have an empty mailbag right now because we did our mailbag episode. So people have been busy. I know spectating Ironman, all of these things happening, but we need to fill up the mailbag again. So listeners send your mailbag questions to iron 
women podcast at gmail.com iron women podcast at gmail.com iron women podcast at gmail.com we'll answer anything yeah no I uh and I appreciate all the cheers I had people out there who were like love your podcast and that was like really really cool so thank you to all of our listeners who are in Hawaii either racing or cheering and I I heard every cheer I was with it you know I as the race goes on my acknowledgement gets a little bit you know I'm I'm like sending a thumbs up on the inside, but thank you to everyone who cheered. Thank you, Alyssa, for, for your cheers and for holding down the fort here. Congrats on your, your picks coming through so well, you know, the field it's great. And congrats. I on did. Your- I guess I did do my dark mare and I had Lucy and Anne, I believe on my podium. Dang. So I did really good. Um, I just, I can't, I always bet on Daniela, but like, you know, um, I mean, I would have bet on Daniela as yeah. well, but it's like, it's a hard race, you know, and she's it's nice. a really, really solid. Really and that's solid part race. of the reason I really, I admire and I like Daniela as an athlete so much because she's human, right? She has been, ha- she like sometimes has tough days and she'll come back. And so you always think she's going to, you know, I don't know. So it was a fun, fun, yeah. fun, fun race to watch all over the field. Um, Haley, I'm so happy for you. Thank you for sharing your day. And I'll let you get back to that recovery zone in LA. That sounds how about that's it far because that's it is in um, LA. Maybe you can, you can stop by and see if they want to sponsor the podcast again. Cause I, I know, I know my, my supply of that's it bars is running a little low. Um, but Haley, I think that's all we have next week back to regularly scheduled programming for all of our listeners. And right. The 70.3 worlds aren't that far away. They're still coming up. I am not racing, but we will be, you know, previewing it and chatting with some 70.3 specialists. Hopefully, you know, we have some people from, from Kona who are turning around. I heard that I heard, you know, from my, my sources on the ground in Hawaii that like, you know, that, um, Kona to Vegas flight was, you know, had some, had some champions on there who, uh, are trying to make it to St. George. I heard it was also canceled. The flight was canceled. So hopefully they're figuring out another option. (laughs) So it is hard. Alyssa, it's hard getting out of Kona. I was like, my bike made it. Thank goodness. Like kudos to me for getting to the airport early or kudos to Lauren for dropping me off early because we actually like left and they're like, sorry, there's still some bikes out there, but we have to leave. Yeah. it's, oh, it's a madhouse. After but, the uh, flight, I feel like I'm always like, eh, my bike will make it whenever. It's almost easier if the bike doesn't that, make it because then they just deliver it to their, your house. I think, or do they still do that? They used to be able to I deliver hope it to so, your house. But yeah. I think, it, I know, actually I was like, oh, I don't have room in my mom's car anyway. Yeah. It, but Liesl, like this woman who's like a UGA swimming alum, who's like a little older than me. She, we were actually on the same flight randomly, which was awesome. She was there house sitting, but UGA alums were everywhere. Um, and she was like, I think they left your bike. And I was like, it's fine. This direction it is, fine, <laughs> but I, it did make it. So I have my bike, but it's, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the race doesn't end until <laughs> you like get home, but good luck to everyone getting, getting to St. George. And we'll have lots of those stories in the coming weeks, but Alyssa, I hope you recover from your, uh, mouse incident and <laughs> keep us posted. Thanks Haley. And yeah, recover. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.